This is World Beyond War, a new podcast. Welcome to episode 48 of the World Beyond War podcast. I'm Mark Elliott Stein, and I've been part of the World Beyond War organization for several years. Some people may wonder what exactly a group like World Beyond War does. And in fact, a lot of what we do involves building a global anti-war movement, transnational, available in multiple languages, reaching out to every part of the planet. One way we do this is through our chapters in different parts of the world. And today's guest is a very special one. Nazir Ahmad Yosofi was born in Afghanistan in 1985. He has devoted his life to a serious study of the problems of war and the need to end it. In 2021, he founded the Afghanistan chapter of World Beyond War, which is based in Hamburg, Germany. And that's why I have an opportunity to speak to Nazir right now. So hello, Nazir. Hello, Mark. Uh, thank you so much for having me. For, uh, and uh, I would like to thank Gerita also uh, that inaugurated Afghanistan chapter uh, in 2021. And uh, it's a privilege to be part of uh, World Beyond War because uh, it is promoting uh, a global culture of peace and work towards uh, elimination of war. So uh, this is a global non-violence movement uh, to end the war uh, um, around the world. It's, it's, it's a great movement, great work, and I'm happy to be part of it. Uh, and uh, yes, uh, since uh, 2021, we have done many things uh, with the World Beyond War. It has been a platform and as a, uh, as a um, uh, uh, source of encouragement to continue what we are doing. And um, in 2022, we established, uh, re-established Said Jamaldin Afghan High School, which was closed after uh, the collapse of Afghan government. Mm-hmm. And we opened the door for over 300 students in India for the refugees who could not get education elsewhere. So we reopened it and then we graduated a batch of uh, students, mostly girls. And uh, uh, now they're studying at the universities. And then we uh, further, we um, uh, celebrated uh, for the first time uh, the Gandhi and Bacha Khan Friendship Week and also made mm. a documentary out of that in Persian language, uh, which is with the um, embassy in the school. And also we, um, we, uh, uh, we celebrated the International Day of Nauros uh, which is celebrated mm-hmm. in 15 countries. And also uh, we have an, a, a comprehensive article, research article on, on Nauru's, how different cultures, different countries um, celebrating this, uh, this um, festival. And, uh, 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 and also we were part of uh, 24R uh, movement, move, peace move, which was on 26th uh, June 2022, mm-hmm. and where we said no to war and yes to cooperation. And uh, similarly, our chapters did many other things. Uh, for example, we uh, started um, a course uh, with the uh, with the Gandhi Bacha, uh, with the Gandhi Smriti and, uh, and Darshan Summit in India, teaching around uh, 100 Afghan teachers and students in India and other part of the world 
about non-violence communication. And we also translated the whole course in Persian language for others to access. So uh, there are so many things that uh, the time will not permit me to explain what we did uh, uh, after becoming part of the uh, World Beyond War. Well, we're so glad to have you. Um, the first thing you said is you you thanked Greta. You're talking about Greta Zaro, who for has really been part of World Beyond War as long as I have, which is several years. She is the person who keeps our chapter program running. And anybody who's listening, please do go to World Beyond War and look for look at our map of chapters and affiliates. And you'll see why it is so important that World Beyond War is a global organization. In my opinion, we're not going to end war any other way. If each of if groups of activists are working in national silos and I'm only working with other so-called Americans and you're only working with other other people from Afghanistan or other people in, in Germany or Europe, we're not going to do it. We have to work together and it's a pleasure to work together and it's a pleasure to meet you. Um, so I, you have done a lot of really special things. You have a you have a unique background. Before you tell us about the schools that you've built and the, the education that you help people get. Um, let's start at the beginning. Okay. You were born in 1985 in Afghanistan. Um, now, for me, I'm here in Brooklyn, New York. When I hear the word Afghanistan, I barely even have a mental picture. Can you can you sort of paint me a picture of where you grew up? Thank you so much uh, for all kind words. Uh, yes, I born on 25th December 1985 amidst the invasion of Afghanistan by the Soviet Union. And uh, it was not a very fortunate time for, uh, to, to, um, yeah. to see the invasion and then which led to civil war in the Taliban. And then we forced to displace within the country and then we forced to go to the neighboring countries. So my education got disturbed apart from mentally and other uh, uh, pressures. My education got severely impacted. But then with the hope uh, uh, of better life and education, we went to Pakistan. But there also at the time, uh, uh, modern education was denied. And then when we, when we went to Iran and Iran also, uh, uh, it was uh, I was denied the right to have formal education in Iran in school. So uh, all the uh, thanks goes to my father that he tried to teach us at home or mm. had some other teachers to teach us. So when we went to, uh, when I was in Afghanistan and in Pakistan, it's the environment was not, not that much green. But then we went to Iran and we saw it so much green and beautiful. And then mm. uh, my activism started with greenery. So we, with the environment. So when we came, uh, when, when I was in Iran, then we tried to, in 1999 and 2000, 2002, 2003, we tried to green our province. So we brought so many seeds and all, and then we green the, uh, uh, started with greenery in our province. Then people uh, copied the same thing. So now everyone has wow. a garden and it's like- uh, Tell me about Nimroz. You know, what, what is it like to, to be there? Yes, Nimroz uh, literally means half day because hmm. it is a desert area. And sometimes it goes above 50 degrees, the temperature. It's, it's very hot and uh, we have very um, less rain. And it is uh, 
uh, and then we have some fresh water coming from north of Afghanistan to that area, but then some water is going to Iran. But uh, uh, now people are trying to make it again because there was seven years of drought. Now we have some fresh water coming down and then people started again greening the... Uh, so, the whole, uh, so when you say green, greening, you're referring to actually greening a desert, right? Yes. Is that what yes. it is? Yes. And that's an exceptional thing. So that involves irrigation. So this this was actually a formative experience for you then to yeah. work with nature. And... Yes, because my father studied from, um, he graduated from Kabul University from agriculture department. Okay. So he, the, he is very uh, good into all and he is the only one who made a, uh, uh, the zoo, not the government, but he individually he made a very big zoo and garden. Uh, so wow. yeah, so for for the schools and universities to come and then have functions and programs. So uh, uh, and then when and then also I try to I also send jujuba plant. It's a plant which is adoptable in places like Nimros. I. We took it from India. In India, also, they are experimenting how to green some uh, desert area in, in India. So so we we are also trying to green those areas with jujuba plant. It's a, it's a very adaptable to the temperature and, 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 and salty um, water. Mm-hmm. So, and, ah, and it's okay. very commercially very uh, viable um, product. Like the oil is very expensive. Uh, it has market in Europe. Uh-huh. Yeah, so experimenting Exciting, yeah. that. And then also when um, when I uh, came to India in 2007 to 10 for my higher education, then I, uh, you know, I got the idea that uh, to uh, let's work on education. Then I went back home because I, as I told you, I was denied modern education. In, yeah. Well, in actually, India. before we before we get to India, can we stay with you? Can we stay in in where we were before? Because I want to take our time and go slowly through through each of these. So you know, I'd like to stay around 1985. Actually, um, first, I want to ask. You mentioned that your father had built a zoo. Or so, was your father um, an exceptional person? Tell me about your family background. Oh yes, uh, yeah. My father is exceptional because uh, he's coming from a very poor uh, family, but he uh, tried to contribute to the society uh, a lot. He did his uh, um, degree from uh, Kabul University in Agriculture. Then he did his master's from Kiev, uh, Ukraine, mm-hmm. uh, and from oh, Kiev, Ukraine. Yeah, yeah. How interesting. Okay. Yeah, and then he tried. Uh, he built. Uh, he worked in environment, and then he built uh, many factories, uh, combining the India, the the uh, Pakistan, China, and Iran system, bringing a system together for producing bricks for building. Because in two thousand three, okay. we did not have such things, and then. He uh, tried to produce mineral water, then then also many um, um, other companies like Ice Factory, and then also invited other companies from Iran to come and produce there. He 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 has so many projects to do, but uh, 
he he is he said that he's he always says that i'm uh, work is worship for me and age mm. age is a number so he has been a teacher for me and an inspiration uh and a friend also so wow. we discuss on many issues uh, that, most of the time. And that is really nice to hear. Yeah, yeah. And can you tell me, you, you mentioned that um, when you were born in 1985, the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan was was uh, obviously the, the crisis that surrounded your childhood. Now, as I understand it, I don't, I don't know much about this period, and that's good because our listeners also probably don't know much. So it's good that I don't know much. So the first thing I want to ask is, as I remember it, I thought the the invasion was around 1979 or 1980 or what can, you know, before you were born. So I was kind of surprised to hear you say that in 1985, it was still the biggest crisis because I suppose in my ignorance, you know, here in here in America, I did not know what was going on in Afghanistan in 1985. I I thought the war was five years old at that time. Can you tell me what I don't know <laughs> about this war? Yes. Uh, about war, uh, you know, and uh, it is, you're right, it started in 1979, but it, 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 finished in 1991 it continued but mm. i was born in the midst of the war but right in the middle initially of it. it was not that much intensive but it slowly got intensive because then what happened the mujahideen um, got support and weapons and all then they started fighting uh, the russians though slowly slowly uh, it got intensified by 1985 it was okay, um, still okay, but then um, 86, 87, it got worse. And then by 1990, then Russia withdraw from Afghanistan. Uh, so war is something, uh, you're right, if if someone is going through, then uh, then it's different. I can, I can, um, I have different understanding of the war because uh, uh, if you see uh, today, uh, if we talk about war, uh, according to World uh, Economic Forum in 2021, they said that the conflict and uh, violence cost uh, the world 14 trillion per year. Hmm. So, and then it is equal to it is equal to five dollar per every person every day in the planet. Mm-hmm. So. It means if we end the war throughout the world, it means every person will have five dollar. Huh. <laughs> so, so and, then, yeah. and then how much we are spending on peace uh, or peace activities? It is in the same year. It was fifteen billion dollar. If you imagine, fifteen billion dollar is equal to zero point one two. Yeah. It's not even one person that we are spending on peace activities or keeping. Yep. Absolutely. So, so imagine when the world is investing so much on military, on violence. So then what we you expect? If we spend more on peace and 
and peace activities, then we will see war everywhere. Now we see war everywhere because our our spending is on war. Our right. motivation, thinking, people are working in, in in the factories for military. So that mentality now we have is more. You know, uh, more a warrior mentality, a violence mentality, because the spending, because the people are involved in military production and all this. Uh, this is, and then it will. The, the, it's not like case of Afghanistan, the invasion of Af- Afghanistan by Soviet Union, and then all countries directly or indirectly, they are, uh, they are uh, invading other countries. They are trying to suppress other countries or minorities within the For country sure. even if there yes. is no even if there is no uh, war invasion but still you see people are suffering within the countries all over the world mm-hmm. because we are not spending anything on peace activities or or, or, or you know on, on yeah. peace related uh, initiatives so this is well, obvious um, that that's very much aligned with World Beyond War's whole message, um, which we really try to emphasize the positive benefits of peace. Um, And we hear in the United States, we hear so often about the jobs that are created by war. In fact, um, the the United States military is basically a, a jobs program. It's too bad that we can't hire people and pay people to help the world instead of that have caused mayhem and death. What what would you say is is the cultural context that you understood of war when you were inside it? In other words, every war, as you're saying, every war is an economic imperative. Unfortunately, <laughs> every war is a profit motive. Unfortunately, on the human level, though, every war is. It, is a confrontation with your with other human beings that inserts violence where there should be happy coexistence. So what I'd like to ask you about, and this is both, I'm talking about both the Soviet war in Afghanistan and the United States war in Afghanistan. What is the cultural context of that war as you understand? What, what is it that touches people's hearts? Um, to make them fight wars. It's not just money. You know, if we, we, we do understand that wars are profitable, but people fight wars because there's some cultural imperative. How would you describe that having lived inside it? Thank you so much. It's really a nice question and I would like to answer. Uh, war is, uh, if I can... Um, describe it is is a darkness war is not only impacting the infrastructure of a country it's impact the the environment the the, the humans the animals uh, and uh, also culturally which is not visible if we take the case of afghanistan you see the last 40 years of war changed the culture of uh, uh, the people the culture is different from now. If we compare the Afghan culture in 1920, uh, 30, 40, 50, it, is, it was much open, uh, much better, mm-hmm. uh, which we cannot compare that 
tolerance, that coexistence, which was existed back then with the with the uh, last 40 years of war, we after the invasion, so it we cannot compare it. Now the people compete with each other unreasonably. They are they do not like each other. They do not intermingle. And then all of them want a different uh, country. They just want to uh, uh, divide on the basis of the ethnic group because the war has created that mentality. Everyone wants something for them. They, so they, everyone is more yeah. or less they're depressed, they're um, poor. You, you will not believe that Afghanistan is so rich. It has, it has more than a trillion treasures uh, mm. people are working on. But because of the war, despite of having all the natural resources, and then uh, people are poor, people are suffering, uh, and this is the result of the war. And right. here I would like to say that uh, um, uh, one person, Alama Iqbal um, Lahuri, a philosopher and poet, said that he says that uh, peace does not mean peace does not mean surrounding or compromising on principles, right? But rather finding common ground and mutual respect. I like that. Would you would you please send me the name of that philosopher? I'd like yeah. to. Yeah, yeah, uh, he's Alama Iqbal Lahori. Um, so, I mean, even now today there is a war with Ukraine. So, if if our leaders sit together and then and then make um, understanding that okay, so let's end this suffering, this war, because uh, there uh, because the war is impacting. It is in Europe, but it's impacting as far as a country like Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. It's, well, we feel the impact in Afghanistan of the it's, Ukraine war. Ukraine war, but some people said, "No, it is Ukraine war. What should we do?" But it is not true. There is another poet, uh, Sadi Shirazi, from 13th century uh, Iranian poet. He says that uh, his uh, poem, poem is: uh, Human beings are members of a whole in creation of one essence and soul. If mm-hmm. one member is afflicted with pain, other members will uneasy remain. If wow. you have no sympathy for human pain, the name of human you cannot retain. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, we are interconnected. It is not. Yes. It is. Yes. Yeah. It is not that we think that okay, this is not my war. This is not his war. But it is impacting directly or indirectly. And similarly, Jiddu Krishna Murthy, another philosopher, Indian philosopher, he uh, says that we are not separated from from the world. Uh, we are the world, and mm-hmm. our problem are the world's problem. So, absolutely, I. I couldn't agree more with with all of these things. And in fact, you know, I I opened this episode by emphasizing that World Beyond War is a global organization. And um, one of the hardest things from my point of view is is simply getting people to to have a world view, uh, you know, to to 
look at themselves in the mirror and see a planet because we, you know, we are the representatives. We are making decisions on behalf of an entire planet. What I have observed from the study of war is that war generates hatred. War, war, war makes future coexistence less possible because the after effects of war is feeling, number one, that your ethnic group or your cultural group has been victimized and deserves to get revenge. Secondly, being proud of your ancestors who wore uniforms and carried <laughs> weapons and saying, well, my ancestors did this, so it must be my dharma to do this as well, which is you know, clearly not a good way of thinking, but um, I think is certainly in the United States, that's very prevalent. Many people here in the United States revere war because they have pictures of their parents in uniform. You know, and that's their images of their parents. And, you know, and it, it even makes me think that your father was was a peace builder. Your father was a was a, you know, somebody who who gave to the world and maybe that helped you give to the world. So war is a legacy of hatred. I love it that you said war is a darkness. Mm-hmm. Um, what I always emphasize is that war is contagious. You know, war causes people to catch war, <laughs> to 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 fight more wars. Um, so I, I mean, I see very much, Nazir, that you are focused on a positive message. You're focused on projecting positivity, and and I, I am too, as well. At the same time, you have seen, you have experienced so much more. So if you don't mind, I I want to stay in the conflict zone with you a little more. And you know, it's easier for me. I can find more people to talk to me about solutions, but what. What I'm really curious is that growing up in a war zone did not embitter you, did not, did not make you feel hopeless. So I want to, I, I, I wonder again, if you can help me understand during your young childhood, your homeland was ravaged by a war with the Soviet Union. You then experienced, um, the United States war after 2001, you also, uh, I, you know, and, and when I say experience, you were often in other parts of the world, but still representing this culture. How do you compare the Soviet Afghanistan war? Then there was the Taliban period. Then there was the United States war. Um, you lived through, you've lived through really through more horror than many of us. Um, how do you how do you understand all of these as a in context with each other? Does that question make any sense? Uh, yes, uh, yes. I I lived the Soviet invasion uh, of Afghanistan and the civil war, and then the Taliban regime, and then um, also. I was there in the last 20 years uh, during the invasion of Afghanistan by uh, the United States yes. or inter- or military intervention, what we call it. It doesn't matter, but it was an intervention. Uh, so uh, all this four, four five uh, era in Afghanistan was uh, different. Um, uh, for example, the this Soviet invasion of Afghanistan 
uh, impacted the Afghan people uh, differently because that invasion infused uh, patriotism in Afghans mm. to save our country from invasion. In that, uh, in, 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 and yeah, this one problem was this that infused so much um, patriotism at the same time brought the people together. Right. So, but then with the withdrawal, with the withdrawal, then because there were so many groups attacking the, the Soviets. So then right. the, the problem was after the, the withdrawal, there was a vacuum and then there was a, right. a compete over power between the different yeah. groups. And may I slow you down here? So what we're talking about is when the Soviet Union collapsed, basically the Soviet Union ceased to exist. How did How was that experienced in Afghanistan? You were... In Afghanistan, you were in a war with the Soviet Union, and suddenly your adversary, your invader, suddenly ceases to exist. Um, that's how I understand it. What What was it? Did the war suddenly end? You said there was a vacuum. Did that vacuum occur suddenly? Yeah. Uh... Yes, uh, the vacuum was suddenly because uh, in uh, 1991, when the Soviet withdrawal, 1992, there was a civil war. Literally, the Gulbuddin on the one side and yeah. uh, Gulbuddin Hikmet on the one side and Rabbanian on the other side, they they were just dropping uh, bombs on each other. The, the war, yeah, the war was. Uh, on the Soviet, but then now it came, we were in Kabul, so we were in the center of the Kabul Makrian, so from there they were uh, bombarding or firing with rockets, and from there, so we were in the mid. So, so I, want, I, want I want to understand this. Um, was there any hope or effort to unify the country without a civil war? Because it, it's so tragic that Again, Afghanistan was invaded, and then your adversary disappeared. One would think that that would be a good outcome for Afghanistan, yes. but instead, Afghanistan then collapsed into civil war. Yeah. Um, was there was there at that time a hope that the country could stay together without a civil war, or was civil war absolutely inevitable? There was, of course, there was a hope. There was a hope in international community. There was a hope within Afghanistan that with the withdrawal of the Soviet Union, Afghanistan will have its independence and it will have a peaceful, um, again, come to peace and coexistence. Mm -hmm. But the problem, uh, the problem is, um, the problem existed because our neighboring countries did not like a unified and... Uh, mm. Uh, and and you know peaceful Afghanistan That's terrible. because I mean initially there was between international uh, international states like the Soviet and the United States fighting on this land and then when their fight is over so Soviet and United States went their way now there was the now it was it was time for the the neighbor and regional players to play so then uh, for them I mean it did not serve there. Of course, the the whole blame will go on our Afghan leaders because 
as I said, when there is war, the psyche of the people, including the leader, changes. Then, because they 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 war for for uh, for years and years, then when war is finished, they they still want to fight. Even the enemy yes. is not existed, the enemy is not there. But still, because for many years they they liked and they enjoyed fighting, fighting. Now there is no fight. No, now they start fighting with each other. Yes, um, that is the darkness that you spoke of. Yeah. yeah, I mean, if I may, I just want to interject something. And by the way, I think you can tell, and listeners of this podcast know, I consider this study of history very important. But, you know, sometimes I wonder here in the United States why we had a civil war, why we needed to have a civil war to end slavery. I don't know how much you've studied the United States, but between 1861 and 1865, we had a civil war to end slavery. Other countries that ended slavery without a civil war. <laughs> it, we, we didn't. It's actually a, a really bizarre um, mistake to think that you need to fight a civil war and kill tens of thousands of people to end slavery. Even Russia ended serfdom in 1863. You know, England had ended slavery long ago. What's the answer? Why? Why did we have a civil war? Well, it was because um, we had had the so-called Mexican War um, a generation earlier, and the Mexican War had been a huge success. And there were all of there were so many soldiers in the United States, in the South and in the North, who had just had a great time in the Mexican War. And these were the soldiers and the generals who created and fought the Civil War. And for them, it's because war was war was their occupation. So that's that is making me think of what you said when you said we there was a a tendency a habit to go to war when you raise a society of soldiers you know and generals and and war profiteers that's war is going to be the only thing to fill the vacuum with so yes exactly. oh my god um <laughs> I would like to know, and by the way, I would love to talk to you for 10 hours. I would love to do 10 episodes with you, but I can't. Um, so <laughs> we're going to have to go more quickly. How did you experience September 11th, 2001? Um, what, what was your experience of that day I, or what happened after that day? Because to me, I almost am, am embarrassed to say this to you, but for many Americans, they didn't hear the name Afghanistan until September 11th, 2001. Many Americans barely knew Afghanistan existed until September 11th. So I'd like to know what your experience of that and everything that happened after was. Uh, September 11th was uh, shocking uh, for, for us uh, and for the world. So it was really shocking for uh, in two ways. One, a superpower with the te advanced technologies, how it was possible that that uh, small organization can, you know, attack the, the superpower. I mean, this was uh, shocking. And secondly, of course, it was shocking that um, how is it possible that uh, that they are going to kill innocent people? I mean, there was war always, but not in this way. I mean, uh, going killing innocent people. But this was really shocking for, for us. But at the same time, uh, if I say most of Afghans uh, 
who were uh, in different countries, they could not go to their country. Uh, uh, there was a hope that now the U.S. will uh, you will U.S. will come and then we will get our country back. Mm-hmm. So there's a kind of mix of uh, feelings that okay, it was not good that happened, but now at least people understand that what we are suffering, what we are going through. What did you think of the Taliban government, um, and what did people think about it? Was was it a popular government? Um, what I hear you saying is that after 2001, there was actually a positive hope that United States intervention would help the Afghanistan government. Is that that's what I'm getting? And do you know that that is very surprising to me because I I am here in 2023. I am so used to seeing the damage that the United States does around the world, you know, from Iraq to the Middle East, that the idea that the United States would be helping. So there is a lot of pro, pro-American pro sentiment there. There are a lot, there is a lot of positive feeling towards the influence America could have had, or there was back in 2001. Uh, you know, uh, the... Afghans uh, uh, always resisted the intervention or invasion, whether it was uh, whether it was um, the Soviet or any other in the past invasions. But this time, the Afghans supported the U.S. and its allies in Afghanistan because because the government was not a popular government in Afghanistan. Because people were tired of the the regime, because people were not able to live live their life. No education, no work, no development. There were so much restrictions on on their uh, movement, speech, even, even what they want to do. So this, for the first time, uh, there was no resistance at all uh, from the Afghan population against the in- in- intervention. So you understand when there was no resistance, it means uh, in a way the Afghan, Afghan people welcome this intervention. Uh, but why the problem? Uh, uh, but but in the last twenty years we. Did development, democracy, human right, woman right, uh, freedom of uh, speech in media, uh, participation of women in in, in different uh, sectors of the government. But again, uh, the warlords uh, last time also war with each other. This time also in the last 20 years, they did not come together. They did not come together understanding and working for, for the future of their country. So all of them were, th- were thinking about their own benefits. Mm-hmm. And this created a problem and uh, ended again the same way uh, yeah. happened in 1990s. Were you, were you hopeful that it would be a success? You know, it's funny that I asked the same question yes. about an earlier war. So here I am asking the same question again. But was there hope? Yes, there was so much hope wow. uh, that this time it will be a success. 
and it it was a hope among the international community everyone was thinking that yeah this time because afghanistan did a lot of progress on different sectors for example right. in terms of uh, uh the free speech in media it was uh, relatively more uh, open than our neighboring countries and in terms of um uh, women in parliament was uh, mm-hmm. more if we compare it to the neighboring countries and in terms of um, in terms of development yeah it was fast growing we we, we had uh, uh the economy was growing uh, the education uh was uh, uh very good and uh, i mean it was a shock it was sudden and no one uh thought that something like this may happen because everything was all right yeah suddenly um uh, everything got reversed i mean now it will take another 10 years to bring it back to the position of 2021 because yeah the whole system collapsed what is your positive hope for the country of afghanistan what is the best thing that can happen for this country uh the positive thing for afghanistan to happen there are uh there are many things can be happened for example uh many countries went through hard times if we take example of india india was invaded by arabs and then by the united kingdom uh empire, british empire and france uh, as well france portugal uh, yes. so but then the indians what they did they always whenever like invade the uh, invaded their country all of them they stayed there they cooperated they learned the language they learned the the technology or the system and then slowly slowly build up on that and today you see india is a um, very successful country and and in terms of economy it's fifth largest economy in the world in terms of it's a self sufficient country but in and and our country in afghanistan when the government is changing for example last time in 1990s all people fled went to other countries and then there was a little bit peace everyone came back now again there is a problem everyone is going out so in this way we cannot uh, uh make positive changes because you need to stay whether it's it's like enemies entering your country whether the wrong people in the power but if you stay there if you work if you contribute slowly slowly uh slowly slowly the problem will solve but if you leave i mean you have a issue with yourself and then you say okay you ignore it will not go away but you need to set you need to you uh, here what what equal uh, lahori um, say that you need you must cultivate peace within yourself before extend extended to the world so absolutely so th- this is what afghans do not understand that okay set start working start contributing and one day your country will will have uh, uh, progress your country will uh, will have less issues 
but this is what our people we do not understand uh, unfortunately what is the work you're doing right now uh, right now i'm working on a project uh, reassessing european development assistance in afghanistan from 2016 to 23 uh, and, and is this in the context of european union or yes, europe european, european, european okay. union and key member states that were seriously engaged in afghanistan uh-huh. uh, yeah so this is a very important project sure uh, is which will help the policy makers and also fill the gap in the literature and um, uh, and also at the same time i'm trying to publish my book i um, um did my phd on european development assistance in afghanistan with a special reference to germany so that is also uh, in the pipeline to be published um, and at the same time um i'm trying to uh, interview many people who were engaged in the development assistance in afghanistan and the european development assistance to understand what um what was the issues with the development assistance because uh we need to know the perspective of the afghan academicians and um, and and practitioners as well as the european to understand uh uh to understand some lessons to uh make development assistance more positive in the future is is there a is there a particular message of your work you know about the the ways this can be made better uh yes you see the development assistance uh can help a country when you provided to the nation for 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 strengthening its institutions then the the government function but when the when when you outsource the services and you do not and you bypass the institutions then what happened then the government will remain weak weak even in the eyes of its citizens so you cannot expect you cannot expect the the government the government machinery to work properly if if it has if if it if it does not have the resources to run services if the services run by others outsource so absolutely then then, uh, then of course it will remain ineffective so this was the case with afghanistan now we're we talking about like financial education healthcare health, yes for example before 2001 uh sorry before 2021 there were there were so many ngos providing healthcare education vocational training and other things but with the collapse all the ngos got closed and then yeah. because the government even before was was not able to do the things now it's done it's stopped everything yeah. stopped so this was the this was the mistake of the government as well as uh, the development assistance that it it should have been more with the government because absolutely it is it is like this when you give fish to someone to you feed him for a day mm-hmm. but if you teach him how to fish then you made his life so yes. this is when you outsource um the services which government should do so one day you do not no one is there to give that service so the government already not able to do so it's the it's the collapse
And th- this is a very familiar story. And, um, you know, that interestingly, as I understand it, when when the United States went in with mixed intentions in 2001, that what we were trying to teach, the idea was to teach how to fish, but somehow it devolved into an interconnected series of outsourced relationships, I guess. Because I thought, you know, I, like what you're saying is is something that I I think many people would would intuitively agree with, um, and yet and yet the European powers and the United States screwed it up. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, tell me about when you do the work you're doing. Are you interacting with um, other people from from your background, or you know, from Central Asia? Are you interacting with um, diplomats? Are you interacting with educators? Like what? What do you? What do you do on a day to day basis? Uh, yes, thank you. Uh, now, right now, I'm working on European development policy. So, in our institute, we do not have those who are working on this area. Uh, uh, but I am trying to find people from uh, similar to my background from other institutions. Uh, yes, I am um, interacting with academicians and experts on European development policy as well as uh, 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 diplomats, um, uh, which is part of my research project. So uh, uh, I think... Uh, because I'm new to this place, I'm trying to find as uh, many people as possible to to find them, discuss with them, interview them, and collaborate with them on in this on on similar issues. So uh, it may take a few more months to um, to find my way out, but still mm-hmm. there's so many things to explore here. I'm trying to learn the language and trying to understand different institutions. So, it, mm-hmm. do you do you speak many languages? Yeah, I speak um, Dari, uh, which is similar to Persian, and uh, Pashto, uh, Baluchi, uh, Hindi, English, and uh, a little German. Uh, I'm trying to learn German. Yeah, I I have read about your inspirations and some of your inspirations are exactly the same as mine, um, including two big names, um, Mohandas Gandhi and Martin Luther King. Um, If you ever ask me about my inspirations, those names will show up very quickly. And I, I saw in the biography you sent me that, that, that is true of you as well. What, what are your other inspirations? Uh, Yes. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, my inspirations, uh, uh, one is Khan Abdul Ghaffar Khan. Uh, uh, he, in Europe, uh, people call it uh, prophet of peace. Uh, uh, he says that the only solution is love and nonviolence. I have his quote, without it, he says the only solution is love and nonviolence. Without it, humanity will not survive. He says that nonviolence is the weapon of a strong. Strong people use nonviolence. Weak people use violence. So, uh, and 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 he always uh, he said that I am the servant of God. So he um, 
he focused on education, on peace, on development, on how and harmony and coexistence. And he um, established his Khudai Khidmatga organization, like what we have, what Beyond War, that to, to end the backwardness, uh, illiteracy, and uh, bringing peace in the community. And he said, we need to give our one hour of time to, to, to um, a social work. That's why I am part of uh, the inspiration come from uh, uh, this his organization that he said we need to give at least one hour of our time to society and social Excellent. work. That's why I'm part of uh, um, World Beyond War. That I'm well. I'm so grateful to him then. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> thank you so much. And then, of course, uh, Maulana Jalaluddin Balkhi uh, Rumi uh, from Afghanistan. He. Uh, he has been inspiration. Uh, he he says that uh, you are not a drop in the ocean. You are entire drop in the yes. ocean. You're in your entire ocean and a drop. Yes, you're talking about you. you Rumi. You're talking about Rumi. Yes, yes. You you had used a longer name. I didn't realize yes. you're speaking of Rumi. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, I, I, <laughs> Say that again. You are not a. What is you that quote? Not, you are not a drop in the ocean. You are entire ocean in a drop. Oh my God! I love that. In other words, we are a microcosm. You are a microcosm. Yes, exactly. Oh, I love that. There is, you know, it's yeah. Sorry, it's kind of you and I. You and I are on different parts of the world, but we're very like-minded. I. I also. I think about these types of concepts a lot. So I have delved into the concept of the collective self. You know, Carl Jung. Is Carl Jung part of your world, the psychologist? Ah, uh, Carl Jung, yeah. Um, you know, to me, Carl Jung and what Rumi said, um, that's sort of my, my window into it, um, having a lot of experience with psychology. The idea that the human soul is, is a collective soul within a single body. We have the bodies of individuals, but our soul isn't necessarily limited to the physical presence of our body. It, you know, again, that, that phrase, we are the world, <laughs> which, and it's a funny thing. You had used that phrase. I had a previous guest once, um, a young woman um, from New Zealand who said that the song, We Are the World, inspired her so much that she became a peace activist. So it was funny to hear you use the phrase, We Are the World, too. Yes. Um, and that's what Rumi was saying. So, yes, thank you for reminding us that the great poet Rumi um, yeah. was a was was he in Afghanistan? Was he uh, in yes. Afghanistan? Yes, I did not we, even know. Yeah, Molana Jaladin Balkhi Rumi uh, was an Afghan, and also Khan Abdul Ghaffar Khan, Prophet of Peace. Uh, he uh, he is an Afghan, and uh, and uh, and I how I'm connecting Rumi's the saying with uh, with another thing. Like for example, we say that. Um, helping one person may not change the world okay so sometimes we think that okay if i help some one person it will not change the world but but if you change if you help one person you change the whole world for that person yes love it yeah so this is what i'm trying to sometimes what i'm trying to do uh i understand that uh, small things that I'm doing. I'm not changing the whole world. 
but I'm at least changing the world for a few people. That is what I'm satisfied. For yes. example, uh, I, I wrote a book for the Afghan youth. Okay, the book I dedicated to Afghan youth, it may not change the whole the, the youth in the whole world, but at least it will change few Afghan youth. So I should do that. We should not think sometimes people say um, yeah, that, okay, if I do this, so what, what is the difference? If I, if I do some social work, what make the difference? Or if we work for peace, what, what is the difference? But one by one, if we, if we all think this way that, okay, as a person, I'm helping one, changing the world for that one person. And then collectively, if we all think, then one day the world will be a better place. So true, so true. I, I, I love the messages you, you bring, Nazir. You, you really have a lot to say. Um, <laughs> how, how are you received where you are? How, how does you, when you say things like this in your everyday life, what type of response do you get? Yeah, I, uh, I get uh, good responses. I mean, uh, for me, uh, this place. Uh, is like uh, like heaven. People are so nice. When you say this place, what is this place? Uh, um, my workplace, uh, the city that I'm here in Hamburg, the people, the environment. It's it's uh, it's the, the the environment is so clean, uh, no pollution. Uh, so I started running, and then I run a whole marathon. Right, you're a marath- marathon yeah, man. I hold a marathon because the weather is so good and you breathe fresh air. So, uh, and people are so nice, so kind. Uh, the environment in the office, outside, it's really. Uh, I'm enjoying my, my, my life. Uh, first, I mean, it's 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 a first time experience in my last 35, uh, 37 years. Mm. Yeah. Well, being in Hamburg is different to you than... It's a whole different world. Well, you know, by the way, viewers can't see when, when we speak across across the ocean, we see each other's faces, even though we're only showing audio on the podcast. And I see this, this very um, beautiful smile on your face, and I know it's real. At the same time, I have to keep, up, keep on bringing up these, these tragic things about war. And one thing that occurs to me is that Hamburg, the city you're in, was, um, was completely devastated by uh, firebombing, one of the worst firebombings. I mean, Hamburg, like Dresden, like Hiroshima, like Tokyo, like Nagasaki was completely destroyed in war and rebuilt. Does that, I'm talking about World War II, obviously, um, that Hamburg was one of the first cities to be destroyed by aerial bombing. Does that come into your, you know, and and again, when I see the smile on your face, I don't even want to bring this up (laughs) and remove the smile from your face. And yet this is an anti-war podcast. I can't speak to somebody in Hamburg without asking, (laughs) does the legacy of that, um, do you feel the legacy of that? Uh, Yes, I went to uh, Lübeck. Uh, There is a small city uh, close to Hamburg. It was uh, destroyed, totally destroyed, and people could not return to their um, place uh, even after six, six, seven years, and it's totally rebuilt. Uh, when uh, when I was there uh, to Lubeck and I saw uh, 
and I saw that okay, this rebuild and 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 some memories and uh, and I saw some pictures that people were not allowed to come to their place because it was totally destroyed. It reminded me of bombardment of 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 uh, 1992, 1993. Then a rocket came to our house. Hopefully, we we one minute before the rocket we came down and oh wow yeah so it's it's always when something when a question is coming about this or when i see such places that bombarded so the whole uh pictures and imagination and the way the things that i went through through the war it will refresh and yeah mood get disturbed sometimes yeah it is uh it is sad to see and that uh, everywhere I go, I see that yeah, there was war. It's 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 not a good feeling. Well, you know, I wanna I wanna say how how much I appreciate you allowing me to ask my sometimes naive questions. Mm-hmm. Um, right. You know, by the way, I I I never experienced a bombing firsthand except for one day of my life, which was September eleventh, two thousand one. Um, that was the only time I ever saw an act of war. Um, you have seen many, many days of your life have been surrounded by acts of war. I would like to just ask, as somebody who's come to World Beyond War only in the past couple of years, and as somebody who has seen so much in your life, yeah. what do you think of the world's anti-war movement? Are we effective? Are we, you know, what, what do you think of the anti-war movement as it stands right now? Uh, I think, uh, as we said, there are so many organizations around the world working for making violence and making war. So it is always good that at least we should have some organizations such as World Beyond War to say that this thing is wrong. The war is wrong. The war is destructive. And then at least uh, the world beyond war movement is is a global movement for peace uh, and and i really appreciate uh, what world beyond war is doing because it's not only um, it's not only at one level we have conferences advocacy research training podcasts conferences uh, books publications and uh, and then conversations, and then you have chapters in different countries, and then you support when there is, uh, 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 and then people uh, discuss on some issues. For example, uh, awareness uh, among the people, it's, it's, it's really impactful because uh, people might not know that a simple thing, uh, uh, for example, if you take uh, changing your food habit, how much impactful it is for the environment. So uh, most of the people today, do, do, they do not know the cost of the war. No, most of the people do not know uh, how much you are spending on peace activities, how much time you are uh, uh, investing on peace activities. When our investment mind and everything all the time, we think about war, violence, then how you think the result will be peace? So it's impossible what uh, uh, Albert Einstein said that it, uh, uh, it, it is uh, you cannot 
do the same thing and expect different result it's not possible we invest the whole money on war military and and violence but then we expect that there should be peace among the countries there should be peace among the people how is it possible when i say that we are spending not spending 1% of the budget that is is, is spent on war we are not doing it on peace so 99% 100% is on war military violence then we expect that there should be peace among the people coexistence yes. so it's not possible it's it's not possible and then you see thousands of organization for working on military nuclear and all but then we don't have organization working on peace on coexistence on culture on on environment on on many things we don't have so i i, I th- this is what i say that it's it's great that we have this uh, word beyond war it's still it's a drop we are, we are not going to change the whole world but we are changing um, the world for few people who are understanding who are knowing what what is going wrong around the world Uh, uh this is what i like about this and and, yes. and i think in the past we had uh, so many great people movements for example uh, martin luther king if you remember uh, on 28 august 1963 uh, his he come with his um, uh, speech i have a dream and then you you had mahatma gandhi in india uh, promoting non violence and then you you had nelson mandela in uh, in africa but now we are not having such great people such great uh, human right so uh, now at least i'm happy that such organization like world beyond war and such other organizations such as world beyond war are 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 doing something otherwise we are we are going to end um, uh, we are going to end the the, the whole world yes our, we're going to end our human oh. existence yes yeah. so yeah. this is what we need to do this is our responsibility to at least if we if we do not have budget if we cannot make a huge impact at least we should uh, start from zero because yes. this is the only planet that we have i mean if with this mentality we go to another planet i'm sure we are going to do the same thing in that planet as well <laughs> yeah right yeah. we we have no right to um to try to reach other planets when we're busy destroying this one <laughs> yeah i i i also wanted to say you know what you said about um the relative size or what when you mentioned this i thought of the the relative size of world beyond war to the size of the world's militaries is like as rumi said a drop of the ocean to the entire ocean i mean the the annual budget of world beyond war compared to the annual budget of the united states military or the world militaries is like a drop in the ocean compared to the ocean but i do hope as rumi said we are a drop of the ocean that contains the whole ocean but we need to we need to save the ocean the ocean is um is draining itself <laughs> so we're we're a, we're a pretty important drop in the ocean here you and me and all of us we work we work with yes 
really true, really true. There are so many things to discuss. Uh, uh, this environment environment is degrading every day uh, on 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 daily basis. Over two hundred species are extincting, you know, uh, and we are producing plastic never before. I mean, it's over consumption of plastic, which as danger for for air for underground for species in the oceans so the small habits if we change small habits then we um, we positively bring uh, 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 impact for the environment absolutely changing the plastic using you not using the plastic or not be consuming uh, simply not consuming meat it's it's bring a huge um, uh, benefit for the environment. For example, um, uh, when you sixty uh, percent of the greenhouse gases um, mm-hmm. comes from uh, production of uh, meat. Yes, beef especially, right? Yeah, I've beef heard about especially. That. Yes. Yes. So and 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 then there are so many awareness that we should tell the people. For example, if you eat one kg of meat. It means you consumed um, fifteen thousand liter of fresh water, mm-hmm. because yes. for one kg of beef you you need to uh, give fifteen thousand of uh, a liter of fresh water to to produce that, and then you need to give so much food and nutrients in cages to produce. I don't know exact amount to produce one kg. So small changes in your habit, food habit, or plastic uh, habit you reduce using plastic, or uh, or a small um, uh, thing that you, for example, you do not um, you reduce the population. The, the world is overpopulated, and when when we have more population, we make more deforestation because we need to make houses, we need to make more yeah. cars, and when we need to more uh, services. So everything is interconnected. But people say Absolutely. that I'm independent. There is nothing independent here in this in this world. Nothing independent. Everything is interconnected. We think that okay, this is uh, first U.S. first. America first. It's not possible. It's not possible. Everything is interconnected. Absolutely. It is. It is illusion that um, sometimes people say that I want to be independent. Uh, then I said, how is it possible? Some we have some people that they go to the jungle. That okay, I'm independent. I'm in a jungle, not dependent on on anything. But I say, still you are dependent, even if you are in jungle. They said, "How?" I said, "You are using the shadow of the tree. You are using the water. Mm. You are you are using the fruit or or whatever yes. that you are dependent. You cannot be independent." I love so, it. Yeah. Uh, if we realize, if we understand that we we cannot be independent, it is the it it is interdependence. The whole universe, not the humans, not the countries, not the 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 globe. The whole universe or universes all are interconnected. Yes. So yes, if we have this realization, uh, I think we we understand, we respect, we don't see any difference between uh, between you, me, this, that, because because everything is connected and we are one. Yeah. 
Well, Nazir, I can't think of better words to end this interview with. Um, I agree from the depths of my heart that we are interconnected. And that's why you and I are talking and that's why people are listening. Um, we are trying to nurture these, these interconnections and build something together. So thank you so much for talking to me. Is there anything that we haven't talked about that we should? I'm sure there's a lot that we haven't talked about that we should, but is there anything you'd like to, to make sure we say before we um, conclude? Uh Yes, if if I if you allow me, I'll say one thing from Nelson Mandela that he said he says that uh, no one born hating another person because of color, background, religion, or whatever. People are taught to hate, and if if they can learn to hate, they can be taught to love. For love comes more naturally to the heart to the human heart than its opposite. So it, 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 is, it is really amazing if we work on promoting love, harmony, coexistence, understanding that we are connected, and then it will grow the circle. Otherwise, uh, uh, the world is going in a wrong direction, I, I think. Thank you so much, Nazir. That, these words are exactly the words we we need to hear and um this is the message world beyond war is all about thank you so much for being a part of it and um i hope we'll see you at our you know more of our webinars and events i think you you really um have something to contribute yeah, and thank sure. you for being our chapter leader <laughs> thank you so much For listening to today's podcast. Our podcast is now available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Don't forget to give us a rating. Visit worldbeyondwar.org to learn more about the social and environmental impacts of the war machine and get involved in the movement for a world beyond war.